0: All right, we're rolling. All right, let's open up with a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the text. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for this day. I thank You that we all could come out early this morning and consider Your Word, especially the Peter's letter to the church in Second uh, Peter. Lord, I pray that You would guide us through this text about false teachers, that You would give us real wisdom um, for how this applies to us today. I just ask Your blessings on all that happens here this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right, so let's do a brief review of last week. We um, started considering verses 1 through 3 last week, 1 through 3a, and we got a little more than halfway through, I believe. Um, our text is here. Let's read that first. Second Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. It says, "But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you." who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words. So first, we began considering how this, Peter is now, in chapter 2, just juxtaposing what he had said at the end of chapter 1. Where at the end of chapter 1, he talks about his own credentials, his own uh, trustworthiness, that they were eyewitnesses to everything they've seen. We didn't make up stories to you. Everything we said is trustworthy. We saw it with our own eyes. And Then he talks about the trustworthiness of the prophets of old. How they didn't didn't make up stories either. They were carried along by the Spirit of God. And so, having set that up as the, um, the, the, the dependability of himself and the prophets, he now begins to warn against false prophets and false teachers. So we looked briefly at some examples of false prophets from the Old Testament, um, in Second in Kings and Ezekiel. We looked we considered examples of how um, the prophets of old would lie, and their their, um, their testimony was, was not trustworthy. And the real penalty. I think Micaiah is here pictured. The the real penalty of saying anything that would uh, go against what the people wanted to hear. Our first point was that they did not speak with divine authority. The second was, the false prophets of old, their message was one of good news. Their message was one of good news, promising peace and security, in contrast to to the warnings about judgment given by the true prophets. And we considered passages in Ezekiel and Jeremiah, where at the end of Israel's reign, how God's judgment was coming, they were going to be taken away into captivity, and uh, different prophets here were saying, hey look, bad things are coming, but the, the false prophets would all be saying, no, no, don't worry about it, everything's okay, everything's okay. I got a, a book this week on 1st and 2nd Peter by R.C. Sproul, who's a college professor for many years, and now he's, a minister, he's been a minister for many years as well. One thing he pointed out about this painting of Jeremiah, one thing I think is, is interesting from his perspective is that because he's been in academia so long, he frequently delves into topics that are very interesting, you know, how God is glorified in the arts, and just really some interesting topics that um, don't normally come, come around in the, in the, in the pastorate. But because of his knowledge of art, he said this is actually supposed to be Jeremiah, right, is his weeping over the destruction of Jerusalem. And that actually you can't see where the light's coming from, but you're actually supposed to be, actually the Jerusalem is burning, and you see some of the subtle smoke hints, and that's kind of the light that's shining on him is actually the destruction. It's pretty cool. We then moved on and said um, they were shown to be worthy of condemnation. We talked about the seriousness of the offense, the seriousness of, of saying you are speaking for God when you are not. And we gave some examples um, through Deuteronomy and Kings, um, the, the, the classic uh, battle between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And here is, again, talking about the seriousness of it. When God comes through and the fire comes down from heaven and consumes the altar and the prophets of Baal are disqualified, their immediate consequence is that they're all killed and, and thrown, into this, thrown into a creek. Death was the penalty again and again for daring to say you were speaking for God when you were not. So then we begin to consider the fact that there is a slight change. Peter begins to uh, switches down from talking about Old Testament prophets, false prophets, I should say, and then begins speaking about false teachers. And um, the, subtle, the subtle shift in the fact that these teachers are not necessarily prophesying, um, but, they're, but they are just, Peter equates them as far as their, the, the level of their uh, deviousness and the seriousness of their offense. So we began considering, I believe we have seven total characteristics. We began considering, through these verses that Peter says here, in chapter 2, um, the characteristics of a false teacher. And I believe, and tell me if I'm wrong here, but I believe last week we got all the way through number 4, I believe? Yeah. Right. Okay. So we'll briefly review those, and then we'll, we'll head on. First characteristic is they are devious in their manner. And this is not to say that, um, in, in the sense that they are trying to hide what they're teaching. It's not like they're in a Sunday school room teaching something that if anyone else knew what they were teaching, uh, they would be horrified. It's more that um, they grow in popularity of their teaching, and then they make subtle shifts in their theology um, so that people won't realize um, what's happening. The fact that they're beginning to stray from Scripture, and their popularity will grow. Um, they're devious in their manner, and we talked about a couple other examples of Galatians and Jude, where again, they're characterized by, they have, they have snuck in the spy on you, or they, they are infiltrating you. The whole idea of their um, covert nature. Their ulterior motives. Uh, second is, they are perpetrating a serious error. We talked about these examples that of the word sovereign Lord here. Um, in chapter 2, let's take a look at it, just so you can see these parts we're talking about in the verses. In Second Peter chapter 2, it says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly induce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them. And that term, sovereign Lord, is used four times in the New Testament. Um, we looked at it, and again, it was just to set up the seriousness of their offense. This idea of God's sovereignty over creation of Lord, the ultimate authority and master. And this is who they are going against with this false teaching. This is whose authority they are undermining. And that's, again, just laying out the seriousness of it. And I said down here, it underscores the seriousness. Third characteristic, the outcoming of their teaching is destruction. Hey guys, how are you? Um, So this is, again, we're talking about, in their own life... Certainly, that um, in the past it could actually meant their own, their real, their death. But we believe here it's actually talking less about um, that the, the church itself will be annihilated or destroyed. We're talking about the fellowship with God. That's actually could be the ultimate consequence. Um, the fact for these men in particular, the way they're described is that um, they ultimately will be going to hell. They are not believers, and um, their ultimate end will be destruction, spiritual separation from God for eternity. The fourth characteristic, the popularity of these false teachers is great. Um, We looked through some of Jesus' teachings, just to kind of set out the contrast here. Uh, Jesus warned that many people will follow the easier path. Why it is the road to destruction. And we put up here, the verses we looked at were talking about the real cost of discipleship. How Jesus made it clear that this is not going to be easy. Um, This will be very difficult to follow him and there will be uh, many um, great things required of you. And so that, that sets up why these false teachers uh, and, and uh, similar to prophets of old who teach people what they want to hear and instead of teaching the negatives are making the teaching more easy for people to hear, um, why that would be so attractive. And again, uh, in 1 John 5 here, we're looking at the real characteristics of a believer, how they will be growing in holiness, how they will follow Christ. That will be the characteristic of their life. Um, and then we set that up um, again against the contrast here. Um, they will give superficial allegiance, saying, yes, I'm a Christian, but then their life will begin to betray that. fact fact, that that's absolutely not true. Because their lifestyle will be so different than that. And we're going to get into that with the false teachers, how they set that example. Okay. Um, I think, actually, what we're going to do, I, I, this is number five. I'm actually looking through this again, before I teach this morning. I think we're going to move to six, and then we'll come back to this last, because six and seven continue with the false teachers' characteristics, and I think then logically it would be good just to finish up with the in, the impact on the Christian movement as a whole, so let's just move to six, and we'll come back in a minute. False teachers are motivated by greed. False teachers are motivated by greed, and I found this disturbing picture for you to view. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's look at that. Let's look at that. First Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. Did someone read uh, verses 3 through 10 when you get there?
1: If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to, um, to Godliness,
0: how far? Oh, sorry, 3 through 10. Okay,
1: sorry. He is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a warm interest in controversial questions. It's about words out of which arise envy, strife, abuse, and evil suspense and friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a mean. Godliness actually is a mean of great gain when by the by contentment. We have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, of these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a smear and the snare, and many foolish and enthires which punch men. For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and sigh longing for it, have wandered
0: away from the faith, and pierced themselves with many griefs. Okay, so here hear Tim- uh, Paul speaking to Timothy here, and very clear about the, um, I think in verse 5 it says it exactly, where it says um, they think that godliness is a means, and in the NIV it says to financial gain. Uh, the clear idea of the trap that falls, the temptation of men who, um, Seek to acquire things in this world. and That's their chief motivation. That is their idol. Can anyone think of any examples we've seen in in our own culture of this? Not to despair, but we certainly have had. I'm trying to think of. I don't know, maybe names don't even matter, but we've certainly seen some some ministers. In the, I think it was in the '80s too, especially with the televangelists who would fall, and some men who later repented and spoke about the their lifestyle and and the fact that they had just at one point they had come into it with a a passion. For, well. Some that have repented and some that didn't, but just the idea that ultimately was exposed was while they were talking about their passion for God and that kind of thing, when their when their lifestyles were then revealed, it was shown that really the, the, the power that they had acquired and, and the wealth and the, the the number of houses and cars and uh, all of a sudden their ministries were absolutely ruined when it became what their real passions were. Yes. Mm. Mm. Yes. Even if it's not explicitly stated, it's implicitly. Yeah. Um, Alright, let's take a look at Jeremiah, too, in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 6. Can' <coughs> to read that for us, verse 13? For the to the greatest, one is for gain. To priest, feels... And this is, again, this is where the destruction of Jerusalem is imminent. And God again is speaking about why this great judgment is coming. And again, we see this nature of man, the prophets and priests alike, who also suffer from this um, same condition of eyes being focused on the world and not really on the Lord or, or his desires. And I think, too, you'll, you'll notice that this is not, I don't think this is saying explicitly this is their only desire. This is just an overriding common characteristic you'll see with, with um, the false teachers um, all share in common. Both teachers are not only known by their teaching, but also by their lifestyle of sensuality. Both teachers are not only known by the, their teaching, by the, the errors in their teaching, but also by their lifestyle of sensuality. And when you see this, this is just impossible to hide, right? This is the kind of thing that just comes out, no matter how many people think that they're doing things that no one's going to find out. This is why it always comes out. Because of their rejection of the Lordship of Christ. You see in the beginning of the verse how clear that is, right? They've rejected the Lordship of Christ in their life. Um, then their lives are going to be characterized by unrestrained indulgence and lawlessness. talk about the appetite of man, the great appetite that God has given man. And if you are not pursuing the glory of God, if that's not filling you and sustaining you, then that that incredible hunger turns to wickedness, turns to idols in a a desperate search to fill that um, hunger that never can. That voracious appetite, it's just going to reveal itself. It's impossible not to. So let's take a look at some examples of Matthew 23. Matthew 23. Nathan? I yes. Just a
2: comment on this. It's like one of the key threads through all of this has to do with the way that God set up the church from the standpoint of needing to have the leaders, you know, and,
1: mm. and so this hierarchical
2: world put a put a really efficient event,
3: so mm. therefore
2: they play without accountability.
0: Feel, feel like the, I think the Lord has mm. oh, tw- 28, can someone read that for us? Is that right? So you also appear
2: righteous
0: to others. That's right. Here's Christ talking about the, the, the kind of whitewashed tomb Im- imagery. The idea that on the outside there's a certain perception when they're up in the pulpit, when they're in front of other people, but inside their heart is, is great uh, wickedness and hypocrisy that ultimately will, will, will be revealed. In Second Thessalonians two, look at that. should be there too. Okay, I believe this as well. was talking about the same similar things in chapter verse five. Um, it says, don't you remember that when I was verse five? Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. So again, we can have this whole idea of things that are hidden being revealed. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he's taken out of the way, and the loss won't be revealed. So I'm not, sure, I'm not sure that that is as clear, but again, just talking about the whole idea of the, the, the real lawlessness that's at work in their hearts, that will ultimately be revealed. And then First John 3. So read that one for us and also commits lawlessness and talk about the um, lawlessness and the whole idea of their rebellion mm-hmm, mm-hmm. characterizing keeping those two ideas right, right together their rebellious nature their rebellious lifestyles and the um, um, rebellion that they have in their hearts towards Christ's lordship and lastly in Jude Some read verses 4 and 7 for us?
2: Men who away,
0: Sodom and Gomorrah, the example of those yeah I, I think I've spoken about this in myself too in the past and um, this tendency can not only of false teachers but it can arise in all of us right but um, especially in, in verse um, four where it says they are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord and um in my own life growing up in the church my dad was a minister I'd gone to church from when I was about 5 or 6 my dad became a minister in around 6th grade so I grew up in the church but especially in my teenage years it became apparent not apparent to me until later I had this idea of I've been told again and again about how the Lord will forgive you whenever you ask and you cannot lose your salvation once you have it which are both true facts but how they've been corrupted in my mind to the point of not realizing the lordship of Christ and the seriousness of sin so I began to think of things that, whatever, my relationships with my girlfriends and things that were going on, that I could just say, I'm sorry, God, before communion on Sunday every week, and it would be the same pattern that, that I had turned the grace of God in my life into a license to basically to sin, and I feel like everything was okay as long as I said a, a prayer once a week But when I felt guilty at church. And it was a total, and there were definite ramifications that came about from that. There were real consequences from that um, serious error in, in, in understanding. And this is the kind of thing that, again, this... The, the um, real consequences of, of the false teachers and their teaching—they can live the certain way. People will begin to see that, and then think that this is acceptable. Their own hearts come out. They feel like I don't need the Lordship of Christ. I can do what I want. I can sin. I'm not accountable, as Mark said. There are real, <laughs> devastating consequences to that. Even though God will forgive you. Yes. Go ahead. Yes. I mean, I hmm. Hmm. So, yes. Mm. Very good. Yeah, and um, definitely, we'll, we'll, we'll see more of that as we start talking about the consequences in the church, and also as in the modern day, um, the real consequences that have come because people la- lack of grounding. Very good point, Sam. All right, so let's go back now to five, and think about it as a whole, the impact on the Christian movement is disastrous. Impact on the Christian movement is disastrous. By following the erroneous teachings of the false teachers, and following, and that should be their, I believe, and their licentious behavior, Christians bring great disrepute upon the name of Christ. We talked a little bit, meaning, we'll look at these passages in a moment, we talked a little bit, in general, about Satan's tactics in this, that he could bring in a false teacher, and begin to um, stray the teaching of the church to begin to damage it that way and then ultimately at some moment he can also then just reveal that false teacher for who he's been and his licentious lifestyle and then also just damage the church even in that. They can say, here was this guy he was a pastor over there and look what he was doing in his past. You know, Christians are a bunch of nonsense. So he can first use that false teacher to hurt the church and then ultimately just reveal him to the world and also bring the reputation in, in the community down as well. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Timothy 6. Here we're going to a passage about slavery, but again, we're going to look at examples here of how um, your Christian lifestyle as a witness is so important. Someone read that for us when we get there. 1 Timothy chapter 6, 1 through 2. Oh.
1: <laughs> Let all who are under a yoke as bond bondservants guard their own masters as all honor, that the name of God must not be dishonored. our brothers, rather than all the better since
0: those... Mm. So again, we see the importance here. They're the the slaves' behavior and respect towards their masters directly tied to, the, to their witness, right? Where it says, um, should consider their masters worthy of full respect. Why? So that God's name and our teaching might not be slandered. I remember hearing... Um, Ravi Zacharias is kind of a famous kind of Christian apologist. He goes and speaks at colleges, and at the end he'll open, do open mics, and the students can ask him questions about whatever they're troubled, and he'll answer the questions to the best of his abilities. But I remember once he was giving a speaker somewhere, giving a speak somewhere, probably out of college, and a local um, news reporter came to speak to him and said, hey, I've got a few minutes, can I talk with you? And he said, well, sure, um, but I'll tell you what, why don't you stick around if you can, because at the end, the question and the answer is the best part of the whole thing. Yeah, stick around. And this uh, reporter said something to the effect that, well, I don't know, I have other things I need to do, but we'll see. So this reporter ended up staying for the whole thing and listening to everything that had been said. At the end came to him with some real real deep questions. And um, a common contact, someone who knew her, later said to Robbie that she had been greatly moved by it, but on the way home, talking about what had happened, her question was, that was very moving and a passionate speaker but I wonder what his private life is like. You know, the real connection for her where she was moved by the teaching, but it was so intrinsically bound with a, the with a, with a, like, false teachers she's seen, the, real, the lifestyles that just betray, and the fact that everything for her hinged on did it really show in his life. Was he real? Was he genuine? And That was everything for her as far as coming to Christ. Um, let's take a look at the next here. Titus 2.
2: Mark, you want to read that for us?
0: Hmm. <laughs> okay, to 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 so we see that I think I think three times there, talking about um, the role of husbands and wives, women sorry, women and men teaching, and the idea that uh, they will not malign the word of God by their character. The young men talking about their character and why, so that anyone who opposes them will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say against us. And then lastly there, as Mark had said, again, um, slaves and their masters. And why? Why is it so important that they act uh, with honor and, and godly, and with godliness? So that in every way they will make the teaching about our God and Savior attractive. And like even Mark's version better about adorning it, the idea of just making it beautiful. Again, this just shows how seriousness your personal life is, how it's intrinsically bound with your witness. You really have your your witness uh, loses a a lot of power if you're trying to share at work with others if they just see these things in your life that just discredit your your message. We
1: were just talking about that, this Bible study, just walking the talk, you know, Mm -hmm. urging each of us in our study to be gospel minded, you know, pocket and walk it, you know, into circumstances. Because there was in some of those other verses a lot of threat of lack of being content with where you're at, like the slaves and. You know, even when you see teachers now, at times that they might begin with tensions that are right, mm-hmm. you know, so to speak, but move on because they lack being content where they're at. They want more. They want riches. They want one car. They want two cars. You know, and it's just sort of to be content with where we're at and, and we're so gospel minded and want to talk, make the gospel it's interesting on the Bible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Definitely. Alright, so let's head back now. Now we can talk about our bridge today. The church will always be opposed by direct attacks by non-believers, as well as the more subtle attacks of those who call themselves Christians and seek to distort the truth. Anyone think of some ideas of how the church today might be opposed directly by non-believers that we see?
2: You know, mm-hmm. and then in our culture which is
0: the world, I mean there's I grew up I mean you know. mm-hmm. yes I think too I, um, I should do this again let's we'll come back to that one in a minute but let's this, this I think this flows so intrinsically with this what Mark was just saying the shift to, to postmodern thought in our in our current culture and this is kind of I think this is important in not only understanding false teachers but also our, our witness to others okay I think this is very very, very important um this shift away from, from, from truth, the, the general distrust of authority that built up um, over the generations, and you can see it from in the 60s and onwards, in the 70s, this general distrust of authority and um, truth claims in general, like who said that and why should we trust them, um, has led to this shift over here, to emphasis on feelings and emotion, and something Mark raised yesterday, the idea of experience now is, is, the, is the kind of chief... Test for truth, where someone might give you you, especially with, with the modern politicians, where everyone feels like everything they're saying, you can take facts to make this or this, and it begins to be this general just mistrust in general of, of that style of debate, and so people in general with, with the Facebook culture take a lot more, place, place a greater great deal of importance on people's own experience and, and say that's really what moves them. Um, now this type of, general thinking where emotion and your own personal choices and thoughts. Are given are given preference. This lays a strong foundation for false teachers, right? Because they can move an audience emotionally, and particularly one that's not biblically literate. Um, Because we move away from this, this is in our culture in general. You have the move away from rigorous debate or thought and discussion, real ever having to defend your position on something. Because in general, people take your opinion, what, what, what do you think? And that's kind of, there's this um, unapproachable nature to that. Let me see if I can explain it this way. When someone, when you've taken away this idea of that there could be a truth, that things are worth thinking through and discussing and debating, when it comes all from your own personal opinion, then when anyone begins to question that, it's you have to. Take, it's very personal. Because they're not talking about you. They're not talking about what do you think about um, the, mo- the modern uh, push for the legalization of gay marriage? What do you think about that? If they say their opinion, and you begin to question that, you're really not talking about this subject out here that could affect the culture. You're, you're talking about them. Because they're so used to having no one question what they say. So there's that, that, that part of that comes into your witness as well. When you're speaking with other- others about it, um, understanding the ground you're treading on, that you actually need to... Um, maybe be one way of serving them would be to... And this, this comes in here, this last part as well. Because no one ever has to defend their opinions. Um, a lot of them have not thought things through very well. right? You get things from 50-second sound bites on the television, and that's kind of... you know, Oprah said this the one day, and the, the newscaster said the other day, and it kind of makes sense to me, and so I, and no one ever questions me. So when you come to someone and actually want to start a debate with them, not only do you, or, or a serious discussion about Christ or what they're talking about, you not only have to understand that the ground you're stepping on, they might take very personally, um, you also have to realize that they probably have not thought this through well, and they'll also feel handicapped in the discussion. So one way you can serve them, and this will come through as, as you personally rail against this and become more grounded in your own life about why you think what you think, why we believe this doctrine about Christ, or um, about, about the church, about eldership, about leadership, these things, when you become grounded just by the nature of doing that, you then can serve others and actually helping them express why they believe what they believe. That's one way of like helping people open up and kind of taking away that personal insult. When you begin talking about something and you can say, um, even like in, in the gay marriage situation, where someone may think this way and they may say something like, um, well, why do you stop two people from loving each other? They just love each other. And if you begin to question that, you can see how quickly that could unravel in the sense that there are all types of relationships that... From men, and there are actual organizations like Man Love Boy Association, right, where men who love children, and they, and we, all re, um, are repelled by that and say, no, actually, that that love that he feels, that's actually not something that our society should condone, right? Um, so that that argument could fall apart, but you can actually help them and serve them and say, you know, maybe I understand where you're coming from, um, and, and the desire that these people in the past have been outcast and treated like as less than human, and really, they're just. Um, searching for the same thing that you and I are—fulfillment—and then that person can begin to begin to say, "Yes, you know, that's right. That's, what, that's kind of what I'm saying." And then, then you can move them towards the gospel and our separation from God and the hunger that we all have, and how actually God fulfills that in a way that um, the homosexual relationship cannot do because it's outside of His will. So that's just something that, not only in our church, does it serve us well to be grounded. Because then when false teachers come up and give an emotional message that really rings true to us and tugs our heartstrings, we can say, because you know what? Because I'm grounded to understand my, what I've been taught, I can begin to sense that some alarm bells were going off when he was speaking, though I have to go back home and, and look into this again. So it defends you in the church, one, and number two, it equips you for a reaching out to not only do strengthening your other members of the church, but also reaching out into the world where we're in a modern culture that has not thought things through, is not ready to, to, to debate them, um, you can actually serve them and bring them to Christ. That makes sense?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Relativism is worldviews. I think it's kind of your way to kinda of, everybody has a worldview, or not
1: one. For some reason,
0: the question isn't that it's mm-hmm. one, that's the question, you Yes. you that. But I think a lot of it is actually with pigs
2: that are off finishing your son up with me, I'm German. I'm learning this the hard way. We finished two men.
1: That was with the next. Mm. <laughs> oh, yes. yes, brother.
0: <laughs> yes, Sam. They're trying opposition. I'll just give you
2: first thing that comes to mind. That relative environment. Don't look at that. What people look at. Yeah. Which is tack on the very words our thoughts together. Opposition can't yeah. bend
0: ourselves. We can't mm-hmm. because uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that God will lead you to the people in your life, and then that that impetus, your love for them, or your desire to actually engage with them, will then be the fire that burns to help you study and research those questions. Right. You don't need to learn everything. And this too, that the last point speaks to, not only to what's negative in our culture, right? Remember, again, speaking about the marriage debate, in, in the news, having two 15-second segments, the two people on opposite sides, and one gives an emotional plea, a you know, person in tears, about their joy of being married, finally they've loved each other forever. The other side is someone who says, well, I just think that it's important we stick with traditional marriage. And I thought, the, the argument's already lost. Because you've only given 15 seconds, and one has an emotional plea the other person has an argument really grounded in almost nothing. It's just over, as far as that sense. So, not only is that a negative just for our thinking in general, right? Realizing these subjects take longer than 15 seconds just to even get to the heart. Then realize, too, that that person at work, who you feel the Lord's talking to you to begin speaking to about this, you feel your compassion growing for them, that, like, 15-second statements are just not going to do it. Like, that, that's why you... Ask, show hospitality you begin invite them to things and growing so when you can sit on the back porch for an hour and then talk things and it actually gets to that level where you can have meaningful conversation it's going to take time and investment in people's lives well, yes
2: for sake of clarity on that one like, we've talked about two different things which okay. has, one are non-believers and how to engage here Second is false teachers. And the scriptures are very clear on false teachers. You go right at them and you are very clear. You know, and you can, okay, yes. um, as it were, bring the truth of God to address false teachers straight away. That's very good. Not. Yes, we, we had the whole witness, veteran, outgunned porch for a while. But the, that's a false
1: teaching on gospel.
2: If the, the difference is that, you know, is their mind made up or not? The only weapon we have is the Word of God. Yeah. things
0: the basketball is still mm. the weapon. Right. So yeah, to Mark's point, then that, that, the focus then should be also on the fact that we need to be grounded so that we hear these emotional or things that w- the typical culture would just resonate with that we have the equipping to say there's some red flags or some things that are not right in what was just said. We've given it the time. So this would also just be my final, just a, kind of a word of warning. I think this should be whenever we're talking about false teachers. And just, um, we can look at a couple passages here. But just the the tendency in some of us, and you'll know this, um, to um, fly to confrontation when it's not needed, to have wisdom in your discernment on what, what is false teaching, what rises to that level, and then when also <laughs> okay. should you be um, realizing that what, that what is between you and a brother is not false teaching and does not require that level of aggression. And some of us are just naturally going to get... And i found myself in the past with a, with a had a college one college professor... That when we were moving through subjects, they brought in a bunch of different teachers in this in this program, from different kind of convictions. I guess they had some; they had the common core, but there really was some variety, which is a little disconcerting as a student. <laughs> but I remember him some of his teaching, and my just I had to work it through. By the end, I, I I did, but my natural response would be this kind of porcupine quills out to whatever he was saying, and I just think that that was something in my heart that needed to change as well. So it's kind of the. the as we talk about false teachers and our need to con- confront them, let's also look at things that are not quite that level and bring discernment to that. Um, so let's look at first Corinthians. Can someone read that for us? Verses twenty three through thirty-three. not everybody should seek his own good, but
2: the good of others invites you to a meal, and raising questions that you in Why should
0: my freedom be by my heart and the anyone to stumble. Mm. And then follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So I, I hope you think this is maybe just a little profitable way, just end my section in particular, but just the, the um, just the idea of that there are things, that there are some convictions that will come up in the in the church amongst the body of believers um, that you will not agree with, and I think we talked about this at the beginning. At this level, the the, the core teaching of the Gospel and Christ's lordship in particular is really what we're talking about with false teaching. The idea that um, the core doctrines of the faith are being turned from, Christ's lordship is being turned from, the hypocritical lifestyle is what we're looking at. Um, So this idea that there can be some differences among believers on some topics, and that um, your common goal of uh, witnessing and saving the lost um, should be that kind of constant um, vision in your mind when you come to a disagreement with a brother and not to leap to a uh, one, one to give it careful consideration. I think about some of the situations when we've had, even like in the modern era again, speaking of this, of all the blogs and the opinions about some of the mainstream pastors in particular. But just this whole idea of when God talks about the seriousness of a disagreement with a brother and how you approach them one on one and then with an elder and then before the church the seriousness of coming to a brother and accusing him of something or talking about his character or what's going on, something that should be taken very seriously. Um, and today when you can just write a blog and not know anything about anybody and just begin to malign character and that kind of thing, that um, if this issue comes up in the church where you, some of you are concerned about something that a pastor said, we had a guest pastor, Pastor Mike, something that said is really, really, and you feel something spiked in your mind that first consider it, pray about it, go talk to an elder about it, that would be the method of handling it as opposed to um, letting the anger fester or bitterness and then beginning to spread. Hey, did you hear what Pastor Mike said on Sunday? Like, Let's talk about that. Does you know, that make sense? Well,
1: this is, might not be a real perfect exam scripture, but of Paulus, who, you know, he was teaching the, the things of the Lord, he was teaching, but he didn't have the whole picture anymore. And was, was, it, was it Priscilla, the, the lamb that took him aside. You know, mm. Not quite the same thing, but instead of confronting and getting upset about it, they took him aside, and, you know, and so there you go, you, you just see Apollos' because his motivation was right, he just, mm-hmm. you know, which is a way, you know, we talked about even just identifying a false teacher, he had, his heart was right, he just wasn't fully informed yet, <laughs> so it's not quite the right same example, but sort of just how they dealt with it, they took him by, mm-hmm. yes, I like that, um, confrontational, and that out to, not exactly the but it no, just was I think, a good just a thoughtful this guy's heart was right you know he was just able to talk about it so. mm,
0: and I think that, again that keeps in mind the, the just the common purpose we're, we're here to present the gospel and um, what would having an open confrontation do for that what would that do for the name of God and that kind of thing right. um, and the last thing let's look at Romans 14 just to echo this point Nick, can you read that one for us? Are you there?
2: Doubtful, judge him. That is received. Who are you to judge a person who esteems one day above another, esteems every day in life? Who observes the day, observes and lives. Why do you show false stand before? that lives, says the Lord. Therefore, let us rather resolve this.
0: So this just um, brings together this whole idea, the idea of the false teachers who are in open rebellion to the lordship of Christ and how that comes through, not only in their teaching, but in their lifestyle, and how serious that is. So when we as believers, um, first of all, it says here, well, be fully convinced in your own mind, even about these more minor topics, be fully convinced, think these, think these topics through, work them through with the Lord, so that when you are under teaching, you can be wise and discerning about what you're being taught. But then also make sure that Lordship of Christ is in your mind when um, any type of alarm goes off, or any type of question comes on. Um, because some of us will have in our nature, and I think that I suffer from this on certain levels, that when I do have a conflict of opinion on something, um, my pride begins to rise, and, my, and, you know, and I really have to question my motivations of, why do I approach this brother? Is my heart in the right place? Is this an issue really of, of this level of seriousness, or is this something that, I don't know his heart, and this is fine between him and God, and I don't even need to go there. I can just let, let God alone and keep my focus on Christ and what he wants from me. So just the idea of um, really um, understanding your own heart and uh, making sure that uh, it's in the right place when you are going to when you're considering these serious topics of like uh, false teaching. Does that make sense,
3: Dave? I'd like to kinda of segue a little bit into it's a you know, I think what we'll share a passage that I you know, back to you is a uh, encourage you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing in the and preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort. With all long suffering and teaching, the time will come when they not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desire for themselves, turn their ears away from the truth, watchful and all things, afflictions. I'll be because I know you're, yep, you kind of had an odd transition. And the that, that where Peter goes with this is, is really a very nice compliment uh, to some of the things that uh, Nathan had laid out here a couple of things that strike me that merit um, a review and a reminder. Because what Peter is saying to us is that in verse 1 of chapter 2 is, is that they're among us. Think about that. So in the church is that those false teachers are there. They're already there. And so from that, even from within the, the, the church itself, is that they're going to they're be heaping up you know, those that would follow and one of the things that I wanted to, as I uh, would transition into um, what happens to these false teachers, is that as I was listening and just kind of connecting with these characteristics, is we, uh, people, tend to, we look at it from this perspective. And salvation is here. It's complete. And any attack on any aspect of that salvation... Is an attack on the whole plan, and so when we when we have our opinions and we start peeling it down, we're looking this way. Is it's the deceiver? What is behind all of these false teachers? Again, is Satan. And, and Peter has already. We need these reminders. And, and what what I keep hearing everyone say is is that you know, absent a foundation, Sammy, you're saying of the word. Um, we have nothing to stand on. And remember what Peter has already said in Second Peter 1. And we also have the prophetic word confirmed. It is the sure word in verse 19, which you will do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but only, but holy men... Of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. That's what you were saying. It is the Holy Spirit, and so when we when we come into it, this is where um, even as listeners to that is that be mindful of again what happened back in Genesis three. You know, God gave a command. Satan countered that command and said, "No, you will not die. In fact, you're going to know more. The benefits they come." with even disobeying that. It's never stopped. and It's been relentless. And also in chapter 3 of Genesis, remember this is where the curse came. Right? 15, 14 and 15. And so, it's never stopped. And it will never stop. You know, until they go. And where, where, where I was going to start uh, with this is that I needed a reminder. Because as we look at Um, these characteristics of these false teachers. One of the things that struck me was their popularity. And if you think about what we tend, even as a local body here, it is our fleshly response many times is to benchmark it, right? And we compare ourselves to what the other churches are like or whatever. You know, they are bigger. (laughs) They have more people. And... What I'm reminded of is in the next section here is that God is going, you know, through Peter's words, the Holy Spirit, he uses examples. He takes us all the way back into history. And it is not about the numbers. In fact, the key message for me in, in the passages that come is that God rescues a few. <laughs> it's a few. Whether it was Noah and, <laughs> and the other seven, or it was Lot. Uh, in the examples, is what Peter is saying is, is to take heed and listen uh, because this is really what's happening here, and so it is all of Scripture as this foundation and this this sure word confirmed is what Peter said. Absent that, we do we get we get tied up into today. Uh, I appreciate that it's words and everything else. In, in some of the, my study, even for uh, some of this as we go forward, is, is that we can find, an even uh, where you have commentators that take different perspectives, and it, it can take you off the course to what is the main point. And that's, I think, what is so neat about this particular passage here is that he's saying, well, go back to history, go back to ancient history, all the way back to Genesis as the beginning. And what has been consistent all the way through, through the prophets themselves, is that they were telling us all about these false teachers. It's been consistent. And what Peter's now going to take us to is, is but by the way, it's going to be over. They're going to die. And they will be accountable. And so we have this responsibility within our local body from a discernment standpoint. But ultimately, is, is that how do we respond? It is God is the sentencer. Right, <laughs> not us. Um, so.
2: Well, just to add to that, just mentioned it earlier. I mean, the common theme, thread throughout that is in the process. It's, 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 it's orchestrating a lawlessness. Excuse me. It's, it's there today. It's growing. The lid will be taken
3: off. Where I wanted to start in in a, before I get into uh, verses three and following is, is I actually want to do a little segue about something, which was my reminder. And it is in my handout, which is, is just this reminder for us, because what I wanted to capture was, and we'll, we could pick this back up in a couple of weeks in here, but um, what is our response to that? What, what is our response to what is happening in this? And Psalm 73 is a great reminder. Remember what Peter has been saying in this letter. And I'll just kind of give you, again, just... For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always. Second Peter 1.12 uh, Yes, I think it is right, for as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. 14. Knowing that shortly, I must put off my tent, just as the Lord uh, Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure you, you that you have always have a reminder of these things after I decrease. Reminder, three times. And so we need these reminders. And so, Psalm 73 is a reminder for us. And what the reminder is 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 that when we take our eyes off of God, is that we're going to get pulled into this. Okay? So, let's just read Psalm 73 maybe as our closing uh, tie-out to this. Someone wants to uh, we can split this up a little bit um, and maybe uh, take someone who wants to read maybe the first uh, ten verses and then someone can read the next ten and then maybe close it out for the last eight or so.
0: God is good to Israel, those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my phone slipped. I had nearly lost my phone hole. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of it. They had no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man, not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. In their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their minds know no limits. Thought and speak with malice. Arrogance, they threaten oppression. Mouth they claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of it. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink, water. drink up waters in abundance. <coughs>
3: Thank you to the readers. I'm going to read a little connection between why that was I picked that. Second Peter 2 in the verses that we're going to go through uh, verses three through uh, 10 and next time we get in together in verse 9 it's a conditional type of if if and if and then it's a then. <coughs> then the Lord knows. So what does the Lord know? You finish it. What does the Lord know? In the verse that Laurie read, and they say, how does God know? In verse 11 of Psalm 73. There's two responses that we want to dig at. One is that to the believers, in the examples that we were looking at here, is that what is your response to the fact is is that maybe they're not a wicked church, over there down the street. And this is a contrast between the wicked and the righteous. But maybe it's a subtle type of response where we're saying, they don't ever seem to struggle. They they've got a great pastor. They've got all the money, all the resources. They seem to have no problems whatsoever. You ever find yourself at that threshold? Or in this situation, it is to those wicked is that our response is called out is that they don't ever seem. They seem to always prosper. They have all the money. They get the best jobs. We can find ourselves always falling into these from an application standpoint every day. It is that sin nature. that It is, it is gravitating towards that. We're getting pulled into it. And in verse 17 that Laurie read is the key verse. It is the whole turning point in that psalm. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood. They understood everything. They understood their end, which was ultimately that God knows. (laughs) He knows. And He knows the outcome. He will deal with the wicked. He will deal with those false teachers. And so... What I want us to be, have this reminder of it is that, and that's what those following verses in there, is that many times we come to this crossroads where even our faith is weakened. And it's like, surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. It's sort of like, is it really worth it? You know what I'm saying? And yet, when we are saying that, that reflects our heart, which is evil. Continually, and that's what just brings the doubt in that. And so, what um, contextually as I think about where these believers, these followers are, and Peter's passionate plea to them and these warnings to heed the word of God, because they will—they're going to get into your head, they're going to be in the church, and they're going to pull you pull you away. And as um, this next section will go, is that Peter texts this reminder to say is that God will judge them. And he uses the easiest examples to remind them of that judgment. And that is, he goes back to history, to the ancient history, to the Word, as those examples. So I just wanted to kind of open that up and, and so as we get together next time, and that would be in two weeks, right Mark? Yes. Okay, because next week we have our missionaries. So we'll pick up this um, verse 3b on through verse 10 in Second uh, Peter. Any thoughts, comments? First
2: thing that the antidote to discernment, or discernment
0: is the face of one that verse. Went to a... Police chapter conference for a few days last week. Out to me was right. they gave the call to give death notices. A gentleman had walked in and family there and he told the family that I the killer there in shock and everything's happening He feels a tug on his arm. She had sorry, she tugged on his arm and like the seven or eight year old boy pulled down and pulled the chair right up face to face all to not be trying to figure things out when that little boy's locked this through Until the moment that's gonna happen. Barrenness found it in the word. So you don't know when that's gonna hit the faulty teacher's gonna come
3: I'm going to close this in prayer.
0: Heavenly Father, Lord, I yeah. thank you for this time this morning to seriousness, pray, uh, passion, to grow in our intimacy, understanding of ours that we can be.
3: Amen. Okay, so next week, we during 9 o'clock equip hour, we have uh, a missionary. Uh, <coughs> right, Mark? Or, or is that part of the Sunday school time? Or, or, or the uh, equip hour? I
1: haven't heard John yet who was on. Okay.